Everyone exhausted? Should I mention the B word? No? Breakfast? <laughs> What's wrong with that? Yeah, it's a cynical. Um, it has been another, another week of exciting um, developments uh, with the nation uh, attempting to leave the European Union. And, uh, and I'm not getting political from the front, but we've been looking, we wanted to look for three weeks at least, just at things that are going on in the news and just to sort of unpick them a bit and then try and apply the Bible to them as well. Last week we talked about the brokenness of British society. We looked at all sorts of things last week, didn't we? And, uh, and there's one particularly troubling video of uh, young people and, uh, and no doubt you've thought of that during the week. But um, there's been lots of headlines over nearly three years of the Brexit process. I think we call it loosely. Um, the Brexit process. And some of them will appear behind me, hopefully. Um, slide button, No. <laughs> Okay, so they're not. Imagine lots of pictures of lots of politicians looking serious. Is it not? Did it not come through? Okay, never mind. Um, but you no doubt have seen various headlines over the last sort of two and a half, nearly three years. All sorts of things. Some very defiant, some very chaotic, some uh, from one side, one from the other. And, uh, and it's been a, a strange, uh, interesting thing to see how we've reported um, British. Um, society since we decided we voted to leave the European Union nearly three years ago. But nearly three years have passed and we've had countless debates and no doubt you'll all have your opinions and keep them to yourself for the next few minutes um, about whether we should have a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit. We've debated whether we should leave at all, whether we should remain, whether we should um, have another referendum, put it again to the people. Should we have a general election? Should we extend our things? Should we delay it? Should we cancel it altogether? And we seem no closer to knowing what on earth we should do next. And actually, there seems to be one word that actually you could put over all of it, and it's the word uncertainty. Because actually, nearly three years later, we're no more certain about what we're going to do next as a nation than we were perhaps three years ago. And uncertainty is a word I just want to focus on this morning, so Brexit will feature, but actually, I hope you think of it wider than just one political issue. But the word uncertainty is uh, actually over the whole thing, isn't it? And actually, many people feel that. They feel a sense of uncertainty, a sense of fear about what's coming and what may or may not be coming. And uh, and I looked up what the word uncertainty meant. Sometimes you go to the dictionary and it's really helpful. Other times you think, really? And I have one of those experiences. So I looked up on the the dictionary um, what the word uncertainty meant. And it says this, uncertainty is the quality or state of being uncertain. I thought, oh, thanks. I didn't get that. So then I, I, then I looked up uncertain, and it says, not having certain knowledge. <laughs> Never mind. But uncertainty is being in a situation and having absolutely no idea what's going on, what's coming next, and what the best course of action is. And that's why that word really is over the whole last couple of years um, of, of British um, politics. And actually, uncertainty can be really, really, really destructive. If you're someone who is facing uncertainty, actually that can be really destructive in your life. It can be destructive in politics, but it can be destructive in families, it can be destructive in your individual life. A tragic example of uncertainty and its consequences was uh, illustrated terribly on the Air France flight 447 on the 1st of June 2009. You may remember it. They were flying back, I think it was Rio de Janeiro they were flying back from. Halfway across the Atlantic, uh, it looks like an outside sensor either froze up or malfunctioned, and they, uh, the autopilot turned off, and they had a stall warning. And it was stalling, said, said the sensors. And so the pilot pulled up. 
They pulled up and then sped up and then pushed down again, trying to correct it and get the speed. All their readings suddenly were all over the place. Uncertainty reigned in the cockpit of that that tragic airliner, Flight 447. And over the course of three and a half minutes, they did not know what to do. They were uncertain. They pulled the nose up again, trying to get out of the stall, not knowing that they were slowing the airplane down. Within three and a half minutes, they plunged belly first into the Atlantic, killing 228 passengers and crew. And I know that's a really depressing story to tell you on a Sunday morning. But that's uncertainty that did that. Uncertainty did that. Uncertainty can be destructive. When there's uncertainty in our lives, great problems are sure to follow. And today uncertainty is reigning in our politics, isn't it? But it's not just reigning in our politics. Uncertainty reigns in all areas of life, I believe. It reigns in the area of identity. Our young people do not know who they are. They're uncertain what I am, who I am, what should I think, what should I do, how should I look, how should I speak, what should I dress like, how should I behave, who should I follow, who should I not follow. There's a real uncertainty amongst everybody, not just our youth. And there's great tragedy that goes along with that uncertainty, that many people are growing into a world that no longer uh, has any definites in it anymore. You can have uncertainty with morality as well. We live in a world where wrong and right no longer seem to be as clearly defined as we might like them to be. What's good, what's bad, we're not really sure anymore. It seems to be relative. It seems to be a subjective thing rather than an objective thing. And that causes great problems in people's lives. And there's uncertainty amongst spirituality. The Bible says that people have a form of godliness but deny its power. I think people want to believe there's a God. They believe there's something. But there's a real uncertainty as to who they should follow, what they should believe. Surely they're all the same, aren't they? Said somebody recently on Facebook or my friend with. No, but we can talk about that later if you like. We believe there's only one way to God, through his son, Jesus Christ, who's a perfect sacrifice for sin. Without him, you're just trying to get to God on your own. He became for you what you couldn't be for yourself, the perfect sacrifice. He died your death so that you could live in eternity with God. But there's real uncertainty. When uncertainty reigns, people get very confused and make terrible decisions. If you were to flick over to, uh, or back to Exodus chapter 14, There's only a few verses. They will appear on the screen. Exodus 14 is a story of the Israelites. If you don't know the Old Testament very well, uh, God's people um, called one man called Abraham, and from him came a great nation called the Israelites, and they were taken off into into slavery in a place called called Egypt, into Egypt, you know where that is, into Egypt, and there they were for about 450 years or so, and then man named Moses was risen up by God, and, um, and God struck the Egyptians with 10 plagues, and then God's people marched out of Egypt and the Egyptians gave them all their gold and silver. They were so sick of the sight of them. And so they marched out of Egypt, leaving an empire, making a very bold decision to leave. Um, And out they walked and they walked to what was going to be called the Promised Land. And as they walked towards the Promised Land, they found themselves faced with a sea, an insurmountable barrier. There were no ships they could not cross. A whole nation of people could not cross this sea. There it was. And as they stood looking at that sea, thinking, what on earth are we going to do next? They turned around, and who should be changed his mind and follow them? Pharaoh. Pharaoh mounts his uh, chariots and his warriors, and they chase the Israelites, thinking, they've left, I've changed my mind, let's kill them all. And so he chases after them, and as they look at them, the Israelites lose all their confidence, and they have a real sense of uncertainty about the future. Let me read from uh, Exodus 14, verses 5 to 12. It says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. And so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. 
He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with the officers, officials, sorry, officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. Remember that word for a moment in time. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them. And as they camped by the sea of... Um, I should have practiced this, shouldn't I? Um, Pi... Harry off, that'll do. You're not going to disagree with me, are you? Because I'm at the front and I said it really confidently. <laughs> um, opposite Baal uh, Zephon. That's right. That was definitely correct. Um, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have we done? Uh, What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. (sighs) But you notice in verse 9 it says they left with boldness. They left with real confidence. But the first obstacle, big as it was, suddenly they saw no way forward and felt nothing but uncertainty. And when you have uncertainty, there are many, many effects of uncertainty in a person's life. And uncertainty undermines everything. And there were just five things just to, just to sort of suggest this morning. When you are someone who feels uncertain, you can guarantee that you feel fear. Fear about the future, fear about what's coming from the past, maybe. There's a sense of disunity. Proverbs 29 uh, speaks of a lack of direction and its devastating effects on a person's life. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, the writer says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint in a different version, the same original language. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where people don't know what they're doing next, they give up, they perish, there's disunity. In those verses from Exodus 14, there's a real sense of disunity. There's a falling out with a leadership with Moses. What have you done to us? We should have stayed there better. There's infighting. Sound familiar? Uncertainty leads to bad decisions. It leads to a wrong focus. Uncertainty leads to untruth. There's a, a sense that the next step only comes via assumption rather than what's real. And everybody has their assumptions, don't they? And so why is that? Because uncertainty uh, only leads to a lack of truth. When we don't know what the next step is, we tend to guess. If you imagine a crossroads at a road, both going seemingly equally left or right, and you're thinking, well, should I go left or should I go right? But you don't know the end of each road. You can't see where they're both leading, so you don't know. So you make an assumption about the best way. And that's the same in life. When we're faced with uncertainty, all we have left is guesswork. We make assumptions based on what we think we can see. But sometimes there's more going on there we can see. I heard the story once of a climber who loved to climb buildings uh, for some reason, bless them. And as he got to the top of one particular building, it took him longer than it would normally. And as he got to the top, it was dark. And he was beginning to get a bit worried. And he was looking for a crack to put his fingers in just so he could pull himself up the last few floors. And he saw a crack and as he put his fingers in, he fell to his death. Another set. Must stop telling stories where people die. Sorry. Um, and as he hit the floor, when they finally found him, they opened his hand, and in his hand was a cobweb. Because as he reached out, thinking he knew what the right thing to put his trust in was, he realised he grabbed the wrong thing. How many people who are uncertain latch on to the wrong thing? Forget Brexit. But how many of us in this room have faced uncertainty, and we thought we've known? 
the right next step. And we've made a terrible decision. Sometimes they're hard to get over. But that's what uncertainty does. Leads us to trust in the wrong thing. And we see that in Britain all over the place, don't we? We see a sense of fear as we face uncertainty. We see disunity as we face uncertainty. We see bad decisions amongst our politicians as we face uncertainty. We see a wrong focus as we face uncertainty. And we see untruth as well. Just this week there have been two marches for and against Brexit. Both equally passionate and both equally vile to each other, I suspect. In places, not everybody of course. Don't misunderstand me. So, when you face uncertainty, what's the, uh, what are our responses as human beings? There's just four things, three things, four things. Sorry. Um, someone needs to come slap me around the face, I think. Get me back in gear. Um, but when you face uncertainty, I think we do four things. And the first is humour. I'm going I'm to be very brave now and tell you a few Brexit jokes. But they're not mine. And they're not funny, obviously. They're very not funny. So the first one. I voted Remain, um, not just for political reasons but because my mother-in-law's moved to Spain and I wanted to stay there. It's not my joke. <laughs> Another joke that I, I saw this week. I was angry about the whole Brexit and free movement thing, said one person, and then I realised I haven't had a holiday since 2012 and I'm broke anyway, so how much worse can it get? Another joke. Roy Hodgson has just been made Prime Minister. He has a fantastic record of leaving Europe swiftly. <laughs> if you're a football supporter, you'll get that. And a final one. I don't think we should have voted at all. I can barely rate a film on Netflix, so don't leave any big decisions to me. Um, that's a little funny. But one of our immediate responses is humour. We love to joke. The British, the British way, I think, isn't it, to make a joke of how we feel. I'm really in a dark place. I'm not sure what the next step is, but I'll just make a joke about it. I think the next thing we do is anger. I think uncertainty desperately wants to have a villain that we can play our uncertainty off against. And you see the things people have said on social media, not just about Brexit, about anything that's uncertain. Blaming anybody, somebody. I've got to be angry with someone. And then the third thing we do in response to uncertainty is become desperate. Think of those Israelites as they cross the desert towards the promised land, even though they're following the presence of God. How many times did they say, just let's go back. Let's just go back to being slaves. It was easier. Let's go backwards. Because desperation took over. And the final one is fatalism. And it's particularly sad that when people face uncertainty, they get to a point where they say, well, there you are, what can I do about it? Say la vie. None of us make it out of here alive. Uh, whatever will be, will be. What are you going to do? Whatever. We have those sort of phrases, they come into our mind and our heart, and it's just very depressing. Because what are you going to do, eh? This is it. Never mind. Life stinks. Never mind. What can you do about it? And that fatalistic way of thinking is a very dangerous place to be psychologically. And if that's you this morning, I urge you to get some good news in your heart, because there's plenty. And I'll tell you, Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from fatalistic thinking. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. Uh, Paul, the apostle, quotes a well-known phrase that would have been used by people who had given up on life. He's talking about if the resurrection of Jesus hadn't happened and how we as Christians would be pitied amongst all people. And basically he says, if Jesus didn't rise again, what's the point? You may as well just get ready to end your life. And he says in verse 32, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And this is a phrase that he's borrowed from somewhere else. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, what's the point? Don't worry about what's coming. We're all going to end at some point. Let's just have fun. Let's go on holiday. Let's drink a lot of the weekend. Let's have a laugh with our friends and make the best of it because we're all going to end in a terribly sad way. 
Surely there's more to life than that. Surely there's better news than just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. So what does the Bible say about uncertainty? Well, the great thing about the Bible, the great thing about God is he does not ever pretend it's all going to be all right, really. In John 15, John 16 even, Jesus speaking about persecution of his people, but I think we can stretch it out to all troubles, says these familiar words. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In one verse, the devastating blow is going to hurt a lot for everybody. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The Bible never hides the fact that life is difficult, life is hard. But the message of hope is there as well. That Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, defeating evil and sin and death, rising from the grave on the third day, overcame the world. And he is the one we can hope in. What else does the Bible say? The Bible tells us that in uncertain times, Isaiah 40, God is still in charge. Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 26. He says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was formed? He, being God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its peoples are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to nothing and reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. Then he blows on them and they wither like a whirlwind, sweeps them away like chaff. And then he goes on to say, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and might, not one is missing. In all uncertain times, God is always still on the throne. The one that made the stars is still king of kings. And the Bible then goes on to tell us that that same God who is always in charge never changes. He never changes at all. In the book of Malachi, God says very simply, I, the Lord, do not change. When we face uncertain times, everything's changing. But as a Christian, I trust in the God who never changes. His promises remain for me in good and bad, uncertain and certain. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, we read this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not tomorrow, but forever and ever and ever. God is still on the throne even when life is hard and he never changes. And that means Psalm 46, that he can be trusted above all. This psalm says God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake at their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that same God who will win, 
who will always be in charge, is able to say to people, even when they're in trouble, that he has great plans. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, a verse often said uh, amongst Christians to encourage them that God is in charge. What people don't, uh, don't often say when they read this verse out is that what I'm about to read wasn't said to people who were prospering, but people who were in trouble, who were in exile, who had lost their home. And God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Can you imagine hearing that when you've lost everything? And that's who the original audiences were. In uncertain times, God still has a plan. And if you put your trust in that plan, even though everything should fall, he will lead you. Psalm 23, that well-known psalm often read at funerals. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even when all is dark, God knows the way. And certainty is possible. Matthew 6 encourages us not to worry, because if God can clothe the fields and the birds in the air with such beauty, won't he move close to his people that love him? Our nation needs a leader, doesn't it? We may have a new one in a few days' time. Who knows? Our nation needs a leader, someone to guide us through the uncertainty and the fear, who knows right from wrong, who will defend the poor and the weak, who will make righteous, tough choices. But that leader will not come from the left. And that leader will not come from the right. And that leader should not come from the centre ground either. The leader this nation needs comes from above, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so... If you're going to pray for this nation, if you're a Christian this morning, by all means pray for a deal. By all means pray for a good political process for the next few weeks. But for the sake of the people of this nation, pray that the UK will turn back to God. Turn back to its king and its saviour. Because he's the one we actually need. He's the only one who knows what's over the hill. He's the only one who knows the right way because he himself is the way, the truth and the life. I just want to finish as well by saying that uncertainty comes from many forms. And I believe sitting in this room, many of you feel uncertain about the future. I believe in this room there are many of you here this morning who aren't sure where to put your trust, that you've been trusting in finite things, maybe even just trusting in yourself. And I believe it's time for you to stop doing that. I believe it's time for you to open your heart to God, to trust in him and his goodness. And I feel actually quite strongly that that verse from Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I actually feel that that's for someone this morning, or maybe a few of you. I believe it's an important verse I need to end with, and end with clearly. Because I think there are some people in this room who are in a dark valley. And I think you don't know where you're coming or going, up and down, left or right, you're not quite sure what the next step is. And I want to tell you, you need to put your trust in God through his son, Jesus Christ. You need to have faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection. You need to turn from your old life and follow him. Because there's only one person that can see it in the dark. And it isn't you. It's the king of kings, the lord of lights. The lord who sees all, made all, loves all, and is near all. And I just feel that there's some people here this morning that are in the darkest valley. And just can't see the way out. But I tell you. If you put your trust in the King of Kings, he knows the way. You need to trust in him. Should you pray?
Father God, we lift up, Lord, just, we lift up our nation to you, Father. And Lord, as we lift up our nation, I want particularly, Lord, to lift up those, um, Father, who are struggling socially or economically. Father, those who are vulnerable, Lord, those who are lonely, those who are struggling now, Lord, we pray for them particularly. Lord, may our concern for this nation not be about us. May we be concerned for those who already have little or those for whom life is already a struggle. We pray for them, Father. We pray that our politicians and those in the rest of the EU will have only a concern, Lord, for the most vulnerable. That we'd be a nation that prioritises those who are struggling. And Lord, for all in this room that face uncertain situations, maybe emotionally, maybe in terms of identity, maybe spiritually, I pray, Father God, that they might put their trust in you and come before you and know your guidance and your leading. You are our rock and our king. And only Jesus can say, do not worry, when everything else screams, be terrified. Because he is the one who defeated death. And we put our trust in him again. Lord, we lift everything to you this morning and ask for your blessing in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.